Second reading this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. Let us pray. Guiding God, send your Holy Spirit upon the reading of your word that it may serve to show us the path of life and lead us into your presence where there is fullness of joy. Amen. John chapter 20, verse 19. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was also called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hand, and put my finger in the mark of the nails, and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So nicknames. Nicknames are hard to shake sometimes. Many a nickname stems from youthful adventure or, or maybe a calamity. You know, I grew up in uh, Fayetteville, Arkansas, and we had two young guys on our basketball team, both named William. Now, one of them was about 10 inches taller than the other one. So in classic high school humor, it was the shorter William that we named Tall William. Now I can promise you if you went to Fayetteville today, Tall William works for Walmart. And people in Fayetteville still call him Tall William. And he takes it rather well. My own mother went by the name of Toady. T-O-A-D-Y. Toady. Her real name was Coretta, but I don't know really anybody that called her that, but one person, it was a friend of my dad's, but everyone called her Toadie. Her parents, her aunts and uncles, her sisters, her friends, everyone called her Toadie. That was just her name. Now, my mom used to tell this story 
uh, when she was when she was alive, she used to find great humor in this story that when I was a little boy, and I'm an only child, so there were no brothers and sisters to kind of teach me these things. Uh, when I was a little boy, I one day started calling her Toady. And she didn't really care for that. Uh, again, being an only child, I was going to be the only one that was going to call her mom or mommy. Uh, but she let it go for a couple of days to kind of, you know, hopefully I would uh, move off of it. Maybe it was just something new I'd picked up. Uh, but I, I kept on calling her Toadie. So one day she sent me down to have one of those uh, mother and son discussions. And she explained to me that it wasn't proper for a little boy to call his mom Toadie, that I should call her mom or mommy or something like that. Well, um, I burst into tears and said, but you're my toady. <laughs> and from that point on, she was toady. And, uh, and that was okay with her uh, from there. So, you know, being from Arkansas, I can think of lots of other nicknames of many of my friends, and I can't repeat those up here. <laughs> um, but, but I'm sure, you know, South Carolina and Arkansas have a lot of uh, uh, historical and heritage together, so I'm sure many of you have uh, some interesting nicknames or have family members uh, with nicknames as well. Um, you know, many of those names, like I said, are appropriate. Some of them are funny, um, but some of them can be unfair. And I think today, for example, in our scripture reading and Dan's uh, great children's message, um, the text that we share today, most of us would call the story of Doubting Thomas. Um, in fact, even today, people who have never stepped foot in a church or never read a Bible uh, would call a friend who was doubting something a Doubting Thomas. It's a name used universally around the world and is stuck to the Apostle Thomas for over 2,000 years. So now think about that for a moment. One, one little uh, vignette of your life tags you with a name, and for 2,000 years, people are going to remember that that's your name. Uh, I don't think we would wish that really on anybody. Um, but it's quite a reputation for poor uh, Thomas to carry. But, you know, after much study and much thought and prayer and reading the scriptures and looking into it, I think I'm on pretty solid ground when I say that it's probably the most misapplied nickname in history. Doubting Thomas. Thomas, the one disciple who stubbornly refused to believe until he saw with his own eyes the risen Christ. Doubting Thomas. If only he had listened to the others. But no, he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hand and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. He had to see it for himself. After all, seeing is believing, right? But he had questions. He had to make sure. So let's take a moment and just study what we do know about Thomas. Is he really all that different from the other disciples? In our Easter story, Mary went to the tomb and it was empty. So she ran back and told Peter and John what she had seen. Did they immediately believe her? No, they did not. They went to the tomb to see for themselves. It isn't until they go into the tomb and see the cloth and the linen lying on the ground that they begin to believe. But what is it that they believe? That Jesus was risen from the dead? No. They just returned home, according to Scripture, knowing only that the tomb was empty. Even Mary, when Jesus appears to her directly, does not recognize him at first. And even after she recognizes him, she goes back and tells the other disciples, 
Um, but we're given no indication that they really do anything with this information. I think Donnie shared with us in his sermon last week um, that they didn't really believe her. As Luke says, uh, but these words from Mary seemed to disciples as idle talk. It was just idle talk. Now we have in our passage today, the disciples are locked in a room, scared to death that they're going to get the same thing that happened to Jesus. And then he, Jesus appears right there in their midst. Do they immediately cry out in belief? No, they don't. And then Jesus says to them, peace be with you. Do they immediately proclaim the resurrection? No, they don't. Scripture says that after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then, only then, the disciples rejoiced that they had seen the Lord. Are these really these faithful disciples whom Thomas is really the only outlier? Again, the answer is no. All the disciples needed some sort of proof to believe. All of them see Jesus, all of them hear Jesus, and all of them see the evidence of his bodily resurrection. It is only after they see the proof that they rejoice and believe. But of course, after they believe and they tell Thomas about this, he wants some proof. Thomas has the word of 10 people that he knows and loves, all of them Jesus' disciples. Why would he still doubt? Well, let's see what else we know about Thomas. Has he always been such a doubting disciple? There isn't much about him in the Gospels. In fact, aside from his name appearing in the list of disciples, there's only two other instances, instances where Thomas is, uh, is named. Both are in the Gospel of John. One is when Jesus insists on going to Judea after the death of his friend, Lazarus. The disciples know that this is not a good idea. The last time that Jesus tried this, the Jews tried to stone him to death. But Jesus is determined to go and argues with the disciples that he must go. It is only Thomas who stands up and said, well, let's go then. Let us go so that we may all die with him. This doesn't sound like a doubting Thomas, a stubborn, hard-headed person. This is a Thomas of courage and conviction and faith. Thomas appears again in John 14, a scripture we often hear at funerals. Now, this is more like the Thomas we know, the questioning one. Jesus is telling the disciples that he's going to prepare a place for them in his father's house and that they already know the way. Thomas says to him, Lord, we actually do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. If you know me, you will know my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So Thomas has been told by Jesus himself that by seeing Jesus and being in his presence, he has seen and known the living God. So when the disciples tell him three days after the crucifixion that they have seen Jesus alive, it is not any wonder that he wants to see it for himself. Thomas knows that seeing Jesus means seeing God. Now, one of my favorite uh, religious paintings is by an Italian painter, uh, Carvaggio. Um, at the early service, I could show it up on the screen, but I 
can't do that in here, so, uh, uh, but maybe you know it. It's called The Incredulity of St. Thomas, and it's, uh, it, was, it was painted around 1601, and it has Jesus standing there. It's a pretty famous painting. He's got his robes kind of pulled away. You can see his, his wounds, and right in the forefront of the picture is Thomas. And Thomas has his hand on his hip, and his finger is right in one of those wounds, and he's leaning into Jesus like, there it is, uh, I see it. Um, for me, this painting just doesn't show Thomas a doubter. It shows a man filled with faith. Thomas had laid his life on the line for this man, Jesus, and he wanted to make sure that he made the right decision. So let's think for a moment about this encounter. It is the second appearance of Jesus to his disciples. Why? Why did it have to happen twice? Well, because the first time Thomas wasn't there. He wasn't in that locked room, scared for his life, hiding from the Jews the first time Jesus appeared. Where was he? What was he doing? Well, unfortunately, the Bible is uh, silent on this matter. But, you know, my guess is that Thomas was out on the streets asking questions, trying to figure out what happened, investigating, wondering, talking to people. Maybe he was even doing a little evangelizing. Maybe he was sharing Jesus's message of how we should love one another and how God loves you. For me, that's probably what Thomas that I know was doing, asking questions and seeking answers. So in many Bible stories, people make appearances and then they drop off the pages of the Bible or even history. Not so with Thomas. Uh, church tradition says that Thomas, after his encounter with the risen Lord, uh, be did begin to preach and teach Jesus' message of love and forgiveness throughout the region. Uh, tradition also claims that he traveled outside the Roman Empire to preach the gospel. He traveled all the way as far as the southern tip of India, uh, which is about from New York to uh, Los Angeles. If you want to make a comparison in your mind, you know, obviously walking the whole time is a pretty good fur piece for him to travel. Uh, it is said that the Apostle Thomas reached a town called uh, Mosiris. It was one of the great seaports of that era. And in the year about uh, A.D. 52, it is reported that he baptized many people in this town. And they founded a church called the St. Thomas Christians. And there are still St. Thomas Christians in India today. Um, and Thomas is their patron saint. And the um, name for male children in, with St. Thomas Christians, uh, Toma, is a, is a common, common name with them. So now you may have caught on by now that I, that I think that Thomas kind of gets a bad rap uh, in this story. And really the reason I want you to know this about me is because I can really identify with Thomas. I am Thomas. I'm not one for blind faith. I like to ask questions. I like to investigate. And I'm honestly, sometimes a doubter. I have questions. We all struggle with our questions. And sometimes our questions don't have good answers. And so we wrestle with them. We wrestle with those questions. We wrestle with our doubt. But today we can be inspired, I think, by a disciple who asks questions. We can embrace this well-worn story of doubt Rather than this being a story about doubt, casting guilt on someone for having asked a few questions, for me, this is a story about faith. Faith in the one who never has doubt in us. The res resurrected Jesus says for the third time in our lesson today, 
Peace be with you. Doubting Thomas doubts no more. His face shows him the risen Christ and fills his own mind, his body, and his spirit with faith, with faith and trust. Thomas's response is, my Lord, my God. May this be the words on our lips as we encounter and praise the risen Lord, my Lord, my God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.